Hello, this is Daniel Orton, pastor of Harvest House United Pentecostal Church in Marion, Kentucky. It is our desire to see hurting hearts and minds healed as they are born again into the kingdom of God. It is my desire that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help bring you closer to Jesus. Not forgiving yourself seems to be the exact same cause of us not forgiving other people. And so I'll talk about it a little bit. If you were not here last week, I have some of these from last week left over. So I will leave them up here. Uh, this, is, this is taken from a syllabus of Brother um, Chester Wright, Shame Conference. Uh, he went through a lot of this stuff several years ago when we went to an apostolic conference. And I am talking from this, these things. So we basically what, if you hadn't been to live class, this is what we're doing. I'm going to talk for a few moments about um, the subject we're on. And when I get done, we want to discuss it. Uh, I ask that we stay on the topic. Um, when we get to that part of it, I would like to use the mic for you to speak into. Now, if, there, if there's something you'd rather not be on audio, which, which I may, what I may end up doing is just turn it off once I get done with anyway, so that way everybody won't have to worry about that part of it, so, so you don't feel like you don't want to talk in, in front of, uh, uh, for the world to see on podcasts. So anyway, uh, just a real quick cover of what we kind of talked about last week. I've got these papers up here. I know some of you said you've looked at it this week, but we're talking about what contributes to um, causing us not to forgive ourselves. And the main thing that we see is that it's shame. Shame leads to that place where you feel like you're unworthy, you're no good, you're, uh, there's no way you can forgive yourself or, or anybody else for that matter. And shame basically inhibits us from um, inhibits us from forgiving others and ourselves. So we kind of talked about some of that last week. So for more depth that, you can go find a podcast or you can get one of these papers and uh, we'll go over that. But today... We're going to talk about how to really overcome this. If you have the paper in front of you, if I'm not mistaken, it's page 60 of this syllabus. It's the very first page. Is that correct? 60. And we're going to be reading from the Luke, book of Luke 4, 18 through 19. You've got the papers. That's the only scripture I have for us up here. And Jacob has um, put it on the screen, but he's got the wrong reference. He's got Romans up there, I noticed. So that reference is not right. <laughs> He's been copying and pasting from previous ones, and that's why he has eight, one, two. It was one of the last ones we've done. But uh, it's actually Luke 4, 18, 19. It's in front of you. So we're going to read this. And also, to one of you today, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give away this book. If you caught this on Facebook, this is one of Brother White's books. It's called The Anatomy of a Failure. It's a, it's a good book. Um, if you don't win it today, i got two more that's supposed to be coming. I'm going to give them away, too once I get them. They sent me one for, they mixed up on the order. I ordered three of them. They sent me one. They're sending the other. So 
Uh, I will be giving away some more of these. Uh, I think I went over some of this stuff in some previous Sundays. But this is a really excellent book. If you feel like a failure, feel like you never can um, get things right in your life, then this book will help you. If you don't like to read, well, this is one of those you should learn to like to read. So, all right, let me jump in this. We won't have time to have some discussion here. Basically, I'm going to walk right through this syllabus, okay? And we're going to talk about it. I'll put my thoughts. I'll read some of Brother Wright's here, and then we will probably skip some. So you may have to go back, and if you want to study this more in depth, you can study it yourself. So Jesus speaking to the people as he walked up, began to read out of the book. Isaiah is what he's reading out of, but Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. We see right under that is this verse from the Amplified Version. The Amplified always just adds a little extra in there to help understand it better. So let me read it. Um, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, the anointed one, the Messiah, to preach the good news, which is the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recover sight the blind, to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, broken, down by calamity, to proclaim the acceptable, accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. I'm not going to read it. The verse under the one under that is Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. So Jesus is reading from this this uh, Old Testament book of Isaiah, which we see under it. And it has it in the King James Version and Amplified. I'm not going to go over those. Uh, but that's basically Jesus is what he's doing. And he ends up saying that I have come. I'm fulfilling this right here. So if you see at the very bottom of that, page A, it said, Jesus not only came to seek and to save that which was lost, but he came, uh, also came to heal and deliver us. It is not, you can go ahead and turn to the next page, but it is not the will of God that you and I walk around in this defeated place that we feel like we can't forgive ourselves. It is the will of God that we forgive ourselves. It's the, it's the will of God that we forgive others. And Jesus came to earth for this reason, to forgive us. And we look at that next page, it talks about save. It's a bunch of different definitions. It's from the Complete Word Study Dictionary, from the Thayer's Dictionary, from the Vines Dictionary. Basically, it's just telling you all the different uh, meanings of what save here means. It's safe, delivered, make whole preserved from danger, and we can see each one of these. This is what, what he's trying to say. So if we look down about halfway in the middle of the page where it says one there, uh, Brother Wright wrote this, and he said, for the usage of the Greek word, it is obvious that the work of salvation includes more than forgiveness of sins and deliverance from hell. Jesus came to make us whole, inside and out, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. The Lord come to do all that was prophesied in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, which is what Jesus read, which is our opening text. This is his ministry to mankind. This is the ministry that he desires to work through his church and to this world. Um, let me see if he's got our thing on here. 
There we go. I'll just leave that up there. <clears throat> so, somebody might be thinking, well, what's this got to do with me forgiving myself? Part of the reason the devil wants to put shame on our life is uh, so we won't forgive ourselves. And we won't feel whole. We won't feel complete. And that's the whole purpose of this life class. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief come except to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I come to give you life and life more abundantly. And so many times we have people come to church, they repent, they're baptized in Jesus' name, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. And maybe they feel like they get their life back somewhat, but yet they feel incomplete because they feel like, I've made so many mistakes, how can God forgive me? Or I'm still walking in my mistakes, and when I think I've got it all together, that thing I thought I was over, well, I mess up. And here I am again. And I've talked about the difference between the sinner and the saint. Sinners just keep walking in that sin, keep on willfully doing it. Saints, we do sin, okay? We get mad. Um, we get upset. Sometimes we do things that we know it's wrong, but we, I talked about it the other night, Thursday night if you wasn't here. I want to do right, but for some reason I just do stupid. And then I beat myself up, and I feel like, why did I do that? The devil puts shame on me. He makes me feel worthless, and guess what? I feel broken. I feel like a broken Christian. And this is where we're at. Luke 4.21 says, He began to say to them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This is what he said after he read that. He said, Today. This scripture is fulfilled. He's saying, I've come to heal all that brokenness in your life. And um, Paul said, we'll sit the bottom of this, 2 Timothy 1 and 7. It's a famous scripture. We hear it a lot in church. For God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. From the Amplified Version, it says it this way. It's right under it in bold letters. For God did not give us the spirit of timidity, of tiredness, or craving, cringing, and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and calm, well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. He wrote here at the bottom here, when we allow the Lord to help us, he will set us free from our timidity, or the Greek word there is fear. And the reason we deal with this unforgiveness, whether it be for ourselves or somebody else, is fear. Because that's what the devil does. Another word for this fear, if we turn to the next page, the very top of it, another word for, for fear or timidity is also shame. We feel that fear. We feel that shame. I can't do it. There's no way I can forgive myself. There's no way I can forgive that individual. No way I can do that. And it holds us captive. And that's not the will of God. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to live life more abundantly. Um... So let me kind of go through some more of this. The Lord D there, the Lord Jesus has equipped us, given us the authority to defeat every stronghold that the adversary has erected in our minds, emotions, bodies, and spirits so that we can be whole and free. Let me, by a show of hands, how many feel like that's almost impossible for yourself? All right, I'm raising mine too, okay? We almost feel like that's impossible that we actually can walk in this place where where our minds, our emotions, our bodies, and our spirits, that we're, we can be whole in those areas. But according to the Word of God, in the very next scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 
3 through 6, For we walk not, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Casting down. So he's got the strongs for this. Casting down. It means to bring it lower, to demolish. Figuratively, it is to pull down, take down. Now, this is a lot of, it may seem like uh, Greek garb or whatever, but you can kind of read through that and it's just telling you what all this, this pulling down means. Um, but if we'll jump, let me see, all the way down there to where it says one, the casting down of imaginations and negative thoughts is a choice. Now, that's hard for us to take because they get so embedded in our spirit that we think, I can't choose to do any better. And let me tell you today, by your own, we can't. It takes more power from that. It takes the Lord helping us. It goes on, it says, I must make the decision to be free before the Lord can work for me to free me. And then he says, even the man who was possessed with a legion, 6,000 demons, could not be kept from the feet of Jesus. You'll find that in Mark chapter 5 and Luke 8. This is a story where there's, we know the guys, he named himself Legion. He came running, running to Jesus and worshipped him. Even though it was full of devils, he made a conscious decision that I'm tired of being here. And let me tell you today, for us to get beyond forgiveness whether it be for someone else or forgiving ourselves, we have to come to the point that I'm tired of living in this bondage. I'm tired of living in this shame. I'm tired of living in this place where I feel like my life is incomplete. It's a place of desperation that says, I will not live here no more. And this is, this is what happened to this man. He's like, okay, I'm not staying here. I'm running. I've heard about this Jesus. I'm running to him. And I'm getting this out of my life. Okay? So, Brother Wright gives us three-step process to be whole in God. And when we're whole in God, not only will it help us forgive ourselves, forgive others, but it also will help us have this, uh, where, you know, he's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and sorrow mind. We'll also understand what that love, power, and sound mind. And I'm telling you here today, I don't got this all figured out, okay? I'm working on this um, in myself. So, but let's look at this process that he's given us here at the very bottom. Three-step process to wholeness in God. How many want to be whole in God? I do. I, don't, I think most everybody does, but we feel like we can't. So this will give us a little bit of insight. This is not, uh, this is not easy, okay? This is not easy. But this is biblically the process that will help us. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Peace. Say peace. And joy. Say joy. In what? The Holy Ghost. This is the key. We turn to the next page, page 63. The foundation in the agency that empowers wholeness is the manifested spirit of God. The manifestation of God's Spirit is called the kingdom of God. When God's 
when the Spirit manifests itself in our life, that is where the kingdom of God is. That's where it operates. Anything that's not in the Spirit is the fleshly realm of life. And not all the fleshly realm of life that we live in is bad, but if that's all we live in, then the kingdom of God is not relevant in our life. And when we're driven by the fleshly desires, then we will live in shame because, and, and all this stuff because we're trying to get something eternal from something that's not eternal. So, he goes on, 1 Corinthians 4 and 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It's not just something in words going to happen. It's got to come through power. So we see 1 Corinthians 2, 4 or 5 there. He said, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Saying it's not just words, but it's demonstration of the Spirit and the power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Zechariah, Zechariah 4 and 6. The latter part of that says, Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. It's through the manifestation and the demonstration of the Spirit of God that the Lord does work in our lives. I have to choose. I have to make the first choice to say, Okay, God, I'm desperate. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of living in unforgiveness. I'm sick of living in this sin. And then we have to run to Him despite our circumstance and worship Him. When we do, that releases the Spirit of God to work on our life. Just like in the story that of the demonic guy, 2,000 demons, they couldn't stop him from running and worshiping God because he had got to that spot that he's like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this place. And um, he ran to the Lord and worshiped him. And when we go to him, it empowers him to work in our life. Um, see Matthew here, Matthew 12, 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. The one under it, Luke 20, 11 and 20. But if with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come to you. So we just see it from a different point of view, from Matthew and then Luke. And then Luke 9, 1 through 12 said, He called his disciples together, gave them power and authority over all devils to cure disease. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. So we're just seeing that the kingdom of God is coming through all these verses constantly. Like uh, the one under that, Luke 10, let's jump down from 8 down to 9. said, And heal the sick that are therein, saying to them, The kingdom of God has come to you. What he's saying is, this is half, the kingdom of God comes through the power and the spirit of God. So the only way we can truly get this deliverance, it comes through the Spirit of God bringing the kingdom of God to our lives. So how does that happen? Well, he told us this three-step recipe for this is through righteousness. This is Romans 14, 17. You don't have to flip back, but I just went back to page 62 at the bottom, the three-step process. It comes through righteousness, peace, and joy. How? In the Holy Ghost. So this is how we overcome this unforgiveness, forgiveness, and basically, truly, any big battle we fight in our life is through this process. Righteousness. The first step to wholeness is justification unto righteousness. Now, this is covered in another section of this, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but let's put this in, as he's got it under here, a summary. 
We are made righteous or innocent by the Lord Jesus taking our sins or guilt upon himself and giving us his robe of righteousness. This covering of innocence is what the Almighty God sees when he looks at his justified children. He sees his own righteousness, his own innocence. What this means is when we go and repent, Lord, here's my sins, I'm sorry. He paid the price at Calvary. He shed the blood. You and I don't have to shed that blood. He shed the blood. At that point, true forgiveness from God requires us to accept his forgiveness. And this is not always easy because this goes entwined together with uh, this not forgiving ourselves. How many times have you done something that was in the past? You went to God and said, Lord, forgive me of that. At that moment, you felt like the Lord forgave you. And then weeks later, you haven't committed that sin anymore. But yet, you still feel guilty about that. You're not, you've not committed that sin. It's been years ago. But God forgave you that sin. Here's the question. Did God forgive you? And if he did, why do you still feel that way? Here's the answer. Yes, God forgave you. Because, and here's the problem we have. We ask him again. Even though you've, you've done asking him to forgive you of your sins, we ask him again. God, can, will you forgive me for that? To him, he don't know what you're talking about. Because he's done forgave you that sin. And there's no need to ask again. But we're asking because what's really happened is we've not accepted his forgiveness for what we've done. Therefore, we haven't forgiven ourselves for that because we haven't accepted his forgiveness for that. So then we're not walking in his righteousness, but we're walking in our righteousness. And we're our righteousness, the Bible says what? I feel the Holy Ghost in this. Is his filthy rags. You know what the filthy rags means? I'm not trying to be dirty. The filthy rags he's talking about here is menstrual rags. When we try to make ourselves righteous, it's like the menstrual, the, the woman's monthly rags that is cast away. That's how dirty we feel when we try to make ourselves feel righteous. That's what Adam and Eve encountered in the Garden of Eden. When they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, they felt naked and ashamed before God. Because they tried to cover their own sin. But what did the Lord do? He killed animals. He made coats. My guess is probably from lambs. And he covered them up with his righteousness. And not his, what they tried to cover themselves up. Then they didn't feel naked and ashamed. Because they were covered with what God put on them. And when we understand the fact that it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. The Bible says, I believe it's in 1 John, 1 John 1, 9, if I'm not mistaken. I may have that reference wrong, but that if we'll ask him, this is my paraphrased version, if we'll ask him, he'll forgive us of any sin. So it doesn't matter what you've done. If we go to him and say, Lord, forgive me, we need to be willing to say, if I ask him, because this is what the word says, to forgive me, then it's forgiven. It's not like you and I, because... If I've done something wrong to you, Brother Dave, or we'll use it this way. If you've done something wrong to me, my tendency is, is I want you to pay for what you've done to me. And if I don't see you pay, then I can't forgive you. But Jesus, instead of us getting the payment that we needed for sin, which is death, he says, no, no, no. I'm going to go to Calvary. I'm going to shed my blood for you. And that's all you need. You just need to accept. 
accept the fact that if you ask me, you're forgiven. And here's the issue we run into. We ask him to forgive us. He forgives us. And then for some reason we think, this is too bad. He can't forgive me. But the word said he could forgive me. And then he puts that robe of righteousness on me. But then after a little while, even though I'm not doing that sin no more, I take that robe off and lay it to the side and think, well, I'm not good enough for him to forgive me. And I put my own righteousness on and I'm not feel good enough. And then I go back to him and say, Lord, would you forgive me of that sin? And he's like, I done forgave you of it, but you took that robe of righteousness off and now you're walking back in your own righteousness. And then the devil says, see there, God don't love you. You're asking him to forgive you and you don't even feel the same thing you did the first time. It's because he's done forgive you. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because the Bible says when he casts our sins away, he casts as far as it is from the east to the west. We know how far it is from the north to the south because you keep going north and sooner or later you're going to start going south. But if you travel east, you'll never meet west. If you travel west, you'll never meet east. It means it's far, it's gone. So unless you're still doing that sin, there's no reason to ever ask him to forgive you of that sin again. If you truly are repenting, okay? So this is how we get the robe of righteousness on us. We, we accept. And this is why we can't never get into the other two elements of filling whole uh, that he give us, which is, Peace and joy, we can't never have the peace and joy because we're struggling with righteousness. That a dirty, rotten sinner like me, how can I be righteous? Because he just said, just ask me for forgiveness and I'll forgive you. All right? That makes sense? Okay. He said, Joel 2.25, we are told that this is accomplished by the Lord's restoration of us. That's basically what I just went through, telling you how he restores us. Um, restoration takes place. If you go back, go to the next page. I'm actually almost done with this and we can talk about it here for a second. Um, this restoration takes place. It's basically when this happens, this brings the peace to our life. When we realize he really loves me and he forgave me. And this is how this restoration takes place when we realize he forgave me. Uh, we see it in that 3A on page 64. It says, according to the Hebrew word, uh, translated restore found in this verse it is a two-part process to cause to be peace at with the lord enables and empowers us through his grace to be at peace with our past so what it does it's it's at peace we understand that he's forgiven me whatever that was and that brings peace to me because his righteousness his robe of righteousness on me it brings peace to me to be able to let that go all right to make whole or good, to make sound, the Lord heals the wounds caused by our past, which is shame. Thus, it restores us, and it brings peace. So, the next step is allow the Lord to give us peace. And if we can't allow that ideal that he can forgive me, we can't have that peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace. It is, um, it means here, uh, quietness, rest. We see from the complete word study here, it is uh, meant wholeness, soundness, health, well-being. And it just goes through all these different processes. We'll jump down here towards the bottom. Third John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. And even as thy soul prosperous, 
uh, we look at the very bottom there, uh, two, it says the wholeness, this peace, is a result of the work of righteousness being made at peace with your past, being healed and being declared innocent. We understand that no matter what the past is, and we go to him and say, will you forgive me, Lord? The Bible lets us know he will forgive us. He will forgive us. But then we've got to be willing to say, the peace won't come until we're willing to say, okay, God, I believe you forgive me. And, we'll let, and the way we know that is we let the past go. And when we let it go, it brings that peace. Isaiah 32 and 17 there said, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and the assurance forever. It gives us that assurance that he has forgiven me. So we flip over to the page 65 here. It just gives us some more uh, definitions for this stuff right here. Uh, for what work is, a deed, a work, thing done, labor, business. Basically, it's just saying, uh, if we look at three there, present peace or peace with my present can only exist after I've made peace with my past, with the things that I've lost. And here's the thing. We realize with that past, there's things that is lost. And not all of that we don't want to lose. But sometimes in order to get beyond it, we have to let it go. And this is why he said in this, Paul said to the Philippian church in Philippians 3 and 7, 9, which is the middle of your page there. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, do count them but dung that I may win Christ. This verse came my best. I've used this example before. It came my best rec- realizing what this is. And I heard a preacher say it like this. He said, nobody goes to the commode, uses the bathroom, and stresses over what they just dropped. What do you do? You flush and walk away. Because this is what dung means, Okay. If you need me to tell you what that is, it's number two, all right? <laughs> uh, he's saying, but basically he's saying, I count them as dumb. I don't want that no more. I flush it. I let it go. And verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness. There's that righteousness again, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, that the righteous which is of God by faith. What he's saying here is what I've been talking about with this. Basically, I let the past go. I get, I'm not trying to be righteous on my own. But I'm letting his righteousness come on me. And that brings peace. And A there under that verse says. Once I've made peace with what I've already lost from my past. I can make peace with what I fear I might lose in my present and future. These two things result in both his righteousness and his peace being manifest in my life. So. And then comes the joy. Here comes the joy. Joy comes from having God's peace made available to mankind on the earth. We know these scriptures right here, famous from um, Christmas stories. And the angel said to them, Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be all the people. For unto you this day is born the city of David, a Savior. This is what Jesus came for, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And what? Earth, peace, and goodwill towards men. Joy and peace, on the next page, last page here, are only possible in my life after I have hope. And what does Romans 15, 13 say? 
Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, what? That you are forgiven, that you may abound in hope through how? The power of the Holy Ghost, which is the work of the Spirit that will help you put on the righteousness. But the hope is only possible after we've made, been made righteous, declared innocent, made whole, only after dealing with my past can I have hope for the future. Galatians 5, 5, for though we walk in the Spirit, uh, for though we, for, I'm, let me read it again. I'm trying to quote another scripture that's in my head there with it. So, for, uh, for we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That's faith believing that he's forgiven me. New century version right under it says, but we have the true hope that comes from being made right with God. And by the Spirit, we eagerly wait for this hope. And let me read this last part of this. And we'll, if you got some questions or comments, we'll talk about it. Uh, it said, notice that both of these verses quoted is 1 and 2 above the Spirit, 1 and 2, you see there. It said, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is significant in producing the joy, heat, hope, and peace. That Spirit is what makes up our humanity where we can't do some of those things of forgetting the past. When we run to him, we're desperate, we're tired of it, we run to him and say, in my present state, I have no hope. I need you. And we worship him. He steps in with his spirit. And in our case, it's when we worship him, he fills us with the Holy Ghost. We accept his forgiveness. And then we wash them sins away in baptism in Jesus' name. That seals the deal there. And what really seals is when he fills us with the Holy Ghost, that helps us overcome that stuff so the key thing here accepting his forgiveness letting it go and then and that's that's baptism letting it go we'll let it go and then he seals the deal with the infilling of the holy ghost so righteous peace and joy are not a human emotions this this is something that we don't always understand because we're looking for peace and joy but we're looking at it in the wrong things righteous peace and joy are not human emotions they're spiritual blessings from god produced by him alone. Man cannot make himself feel any of these things through his own efforts or his intellect. Neither can religion and its tenets produce them. They are a work of the Spirit of God in our lives. He is a source and him only. And I did not copy this page. I don't even have no idea. It's not much there to it. But the, the last page of this whole entire syllabus, it's not on yours, but uh, it says Jesus wants us to accept his love unconditionally, Forgive ourselves of the grudges of shame. Let him make us whole in his image. Let him clothe us with his righteousness and help us to fulfill his purpose in our lives. Again, Jesus wants us to accept his love unconditional. Forgives ourself, forgive ourselves of the grudge of shame. Let him make us whole in his image. Let him clothe us with righteousness and help us to fulfill his purpose in our lives. That is the ultimate way of how to forgive ourselves and forgive others. And to walk in the wholeness of life is to let his righteousness cover us. So, anybody got anything they want to say, add? Before I turn this off? Or you prefer me? Everybody, you turn this off? Let's just do that. Man. And if you're here wondering what they're going to say, that's why you should come to church. So, love you. God bless. <laughs>